0: Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, the major motion podcast, where we talk about the biggest and the best films coming to theaters and streaming online. From San Francisco, I'm John Negroni, film editor for theyoungfolks.com. And from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, he's a news and entertainment writer at Collider. It's Will Ashton. Hey, Will. Hey. Will, we have a special guest. Yes, we do. And, you know, we, we get emails all the time. The listeners are like, you know, I like Will. Will's cool. But John, there's something about that guy. I, I just get the feeling he believes in nepotism favoritism. You know, he's always trying to schmooze and network and Will's the straightforward guy. Well, I have great news, Will. We're going to prove that point on this week's show. All right. I'm excited. I'm curious. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You don't know who's here. Okay. We'll bring him in. Um, Hey, there he is. Uh, (laughs) Coming at us from, I think, Chicago, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Yes, you're correct. Chicago, (laughs) Illinois. Uh, He is, oh, he, he does so many things. First of all, he's the editor in chief of a website that I've written for many times, been contributing to for years called The Spool, also senior staff writer for Consequence. And also, we were bringing in a ringer for this Nicolas Cage movie review this week because he's the host of Travolta Cage, literally a podcast devoted to two of the most fascinating actors of all times. I think, Clint, you call them kooks.
1: Yes, uh, they are. They are very fascinating folks. I call them uh, Sir John Travolta and Sir Nicolas Cage in our podcast. Yes. Yes. We must afford them the dignity they deserve.
0: <laughs> Clint, welcome. You know, obviously, this has been a long time coming. Always wanted to have you on Cinemaholics, and I think this is a, the perfect intro, perfect way for people to get a sense of uh, who you are and what your, your philosophy and all that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan. We, uh, we're, we're friends and colleagues. We talk together regularly. Not all three of us, but separately, I spoke. I speak to you two a lot. <laughs> I don't even know if um, it nice was nice. It
0: was actually so.
1: I feel like we know each other through like Facebook groups. Was it yeah. a Flophouse thing? Yeah, yeah, totally. yeah that's right. Um, yeah. I feel like I knew you, Will, before I knew you, John. Um, but like I'm very we. pleased to be here. Um, yeah, as as, uh, as John so eloquently pointed out, uh, I am Clint Worthington. I am the founder and editor-in-chief of The Spool, a little website I started about two, three years ago. It seems to be doing pretty well so far. Um, and I am also a senior staff writer at Consequence. But I also write at a million other places. You can find my bylines. I do regular writing work for TV at RogerEbert.com. And uh, I write a little bit about sci-fi, The Companion, and I write a little bit of film reviews for Fox uh, Digital. And uh, yeah, I run the Travolta Cage podcast and the Write on Cue podcast, uh, which is the Spools podcast where I talk to uh, composers um, about their latest works. So essentially, uh, I'm just really, really tired. Mm -hmm. I'm so, so Mm -hmm. sleepy uh, and I don't make any time for myself because you know how it is in the freelance life, especially as a culture writer in the 2020s. uh, We're all scrambling for work. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, but I'm very pleased to uh, to come on and uh, and lend my cage expertise as it is to to this new motion picture. I
0: got to be super honest with you, Clint, right on cue, which used to be more of a comment, really um yeah that's, that's right that's my favorite thing that you do i mean oh really i can take or leave you know and you know who you are as a person i'm just kidding but
1: <laughs> no that, no i get it literally I get it, a pod- like
0: there should be more podcasts devoted to talking to composers and i've listened mm. to many episodes especially the Emil massieri one is my favorite um i yeah, absolutely those are great. Yeah, he's uh, fantastic uh, that that like listeners of this show particularly i think would get a major hoot out of that podcast so
1: yeah, because in, in addition to the interviews, um, occasionally, not as often as I would like, but occasionally I get the composers to re- to lay down uh, track commentaries uh, to help explain some of the more iconic tracks in in the scores uh, for the films and TV that you listen to. Uh, I think this week, uh, the week I'm recording, uh, we should have something up for, um, I interviewed one of the members of San Lux, uh, who recorded the score, who did the score for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Uh, it's nice. a really great chat. Can't wait for people to listen to that. Um, but yeah, so glad to be on the show.
2: Uh, if I may compliment you, Clint, I was going to say as much, I think all your work is great, but I really do love the Travolta cage cast. I've been listening to that. There are two and, kinds of simulac yeah, hosts, basically. Uh, yeah, basically.
1: <laughs> yeah. Cause the podcast I do with Nathan Rabin, obviously the, uh, the, the, the coiner of manic pixie dream girl and, uh, incredible culture writer. I still feel incredibly lucky that I get to, to work with him. He's the one who brought me in because it used to be just a general, um, general purpose, new release podcast tied to his website. But then we locked on this idea after we did a double feature of, uh, the Poison Rose and The Fanatic, which were two uh, horrible John Travolta movies. And then we realized, oh, well, you know, both Travolta and Cage have had this incredibly wide-spanning career of both classics and flops around the same time as each other. So we thought it would be a great idea to combine them, go through the go through the filmography chronologically and see where their careers intersect, where they've worked with similar collaborators. Like, it's it's fascinating, like, to go through the number of times where uh one one director will work with Travolta and the other with Cage um within like subsequent weeks you know just so the connections are really really interesting and span much beyond Face Off and at the stage of the at the stage of the podcast we're in we're starting to drift a little bit because we're in like the late 2000s, early 2010s. We're really starting to get into like the crap. Um, and also their timelines are diverging a little bit because Travolta is making far fewer movies than cages. So there's going to come a point where we're going to run out of Travolta movies, but we're going to do it's just to like be cage. cage. That's it. It's going to be Cage. Uh, and we'll, we'll succumb to his, the unbearable weight of his massive talent. I mean, Clint, we're just glad that you have entered our cage, you know? Not, yes, not a lot of people well, are
0: brave enough to do it. Despite all my rage, mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> um, I'm still just Nicholas Cage. Nice, uh, good, good improv. Yeah. I like that. Thank you. Yes, yes, and <laughs> yeah, uh, John. So we're going to talk about the unbearable weight
0: of massive talent. Later in the show, Will and I are gonna have a nice little uh, coffee break. We're gonna talk about the bad guys, the new DreamWorks animated film as well. It's gonna be a whole thing. But uh, as we get into an unbearable weight of massive talent, I feel like the listeners understand Clint probably uh, at this point, like where what you're bringing to the table. So. I think we should just get right into this movie, which I got to be, I got to be honest. I didn't really, I wasn't very much aware of this movie
2: long before South by Southwest. Hmm. Like I remember- Mm-hmm. and me are just different people john we are say. we are because i was looking <laughs>
0: yeah. this up and i was just like oh man what is this movie they, they just like announce it like in 2021 and uh you know uh, mm-hmm. apparently this has been uh in the works for quite a while uh they, this is based yeah. on uh, or do you want to explain it well because you're the
2: expert you're the guy who's you know writing the biography uh i mean i don't think i'm writing a biography so far as i know but yeah this was um like you said a um Pitch, I guess, that became a film. I'm not quite sure how much of that is lore building and how much of that is like what actually came about, but I know that these two writers, um, I'm blanking on their names off the top of my head, but they were between I'm projects. Right it's uh, okay. Tom, Tom Gormakin, uh, the director, and mm-hmm. uh, Kevin Edden. Yeah, they said that they were between projects and they were kind of trying to find a way to get their name back on the map by kind of doing different things. And they came up with this fairly outlandish premise where Nicolas Cage plays Nicolas Cage and is having some sort of like mental breakdown and kind of gets involved with this crime plot. And, you know, all these sort of eccentric things happen. Brilliant idea.
0: Yeah. Stroke of genius.
2: Right. And it was something I think they initially did to like you said, get themselves on the map, kind of get other projects, but they were like, why don't we just try to do this? Like, Nicolas Cage does so many wild, outlandish things already. Why don't we just try to get Nicolas Cage and see if we can get this movie off the ground? And it seemed like they had trouble at first getting him to agree with it, because it seemed like he was afraid that they were making fun of him, or like, trying to make fun of his career, or his legacy. And I know the director, or the writers, I guess, they wrote a letter to him, and they were like, look, this is coming from a place of love. We're not like... Like, we're going to have some fun with your career, poke fun at you a little bit, but this is not coming from a place of malice. Like, we're just coming at this as sincere fans. We want to, like, make a movie that's a tribute to you and your career while also making a really outlandish, goofy comedy. And that seemed to win him over. And yeah, that once that. Once he came involved, I think that's where everything came into place. And this became, I think, his first non-animated studio film in like at least half a decade, which is. Yeah. Last wild. thing was crudes too, as this movie points out.
0: Um, yeah. But no, he. Yeah. I, yeah. Cage himself was like, yeah, I turned it down. And like I said, no, like three or four times. Like they, they kept trying and trying with him. But I think, yeah, that letter is what put him over the top. Um, there you go. Clint, I was going to ask you because, you know, you're the you're the Nicolas Cage expert. How would you Mm -hmm. describe like what what Cage is going through at this point in his career, like leading up to this movie? Obviously, Will and I have talked about a bunch of Nicolas Cage movies, but not all of them. Right. Well, we've talked about like Mandy Pig, like the highlights, but there have been all kinds Mm -hmm. of Cage projects that have come and gone and we haven't even paid attention to them.
1: Yeah, it's he's in a really interesting point in his career right now where, I mean, and again, he's been working for 40 years. Um, I highly recommend, you know, uh, Keith Phipps' book, Age of Cage. That's a really, really fantastic, uh, you know, breakdown of this as well. But I mean, you know, as you know, Nick Cage has developed a reputation. I think in the course of our podcast, we nailed it down to Wicker Man. Wicker Man is kind of his battlefield earth. If we're talking about the moment in Travolta Cage where like both of our our folks have finally like lost the star power they had in their youth, uh, where Wicker Man came along. It was a uniquely bad movie. And also it came, uh, it came out around the time of like internet meme culture and its rise. Right. So Nick Cage suddenly became man and meme at the same time. And he never really shook that. And I think that's something that unbearable weight of massive talent is trying to lock into to maybe mixed results. We'll find out about that later. Um, but yeah, at this point in his career, he's, it feels like he's on the upswing, uh, where he has languished in sort of VOD, you know, purgatory for a good long while, doing stuff like rage and, uh, you know, dying of the light and, uh, trespass and USS Indianapolis or whatever, that movie about like the, the, the naval ship that like gets attacked by sh- sinks and everyone gets attacked by sharks or something. Yeah. It didn't, we haven't gotten to that point in the podcast yet.
2: Didn't, but, um, um, Melvin Van Peebles direct that weirdly enough, or sorry, it Mar- oh, was it Mario. Mario. Yeah. yeah. Sorry.
1: It would have been great if Melvin Van Peebles <laughs> directed it because it would be proof of life after death. Right. But, um, I, I, I'm curious about that. We haven't reached that point in the podcast yet, but um, as you said, in recent years, I feel like he started to reclaim his his status as a as a great actor, as as the kind of thing that like, oh, we, it's okay to like Nicholas Cage now because he was kind of a punchline. Uh, I was never a huge proponent of that. I always felt like you know, even in his like bad stuff, like he's committed. He's a unique actor, um, and so with stuff like Mandy and especially Pig, which I feel like you know, it was like it, it's a it's weird to think about this movie coming out. A year after people thought he had a really a uh, solid shot at getting a best actor nomination uh, for a film, you know, where it, it it's so interesting to think of him as no longer necessarily being a joke, where like he is just in enough on the joke that we're not laughing at him, we feel like we're laughing with him, and yeah, it's just a very interesting point in his career right now where he's on the upswing, but it's not quite. There's still a jokiness to our collective response to Cage. And I think that's what this movie's speaking to.
0: Yeah, I was I was so happy when he got that like awards attention for Pig from Critics Choice and a few other places last Mm -hmm. year. I was like, heck yeah, like Obviously, I think deserves it. And that's coming at a time where he also came out with like two other movies that year. One I saw when I didn't uh, Willie's Wonderland and Prisoners of the Ghostland, which will you like Prisoners yeah. of the Ghostland more than I did, right? I
2: yeah, I thought Prisoners of Ghostland was pretty good. I think it was a movie where I enjoyed the aesthetics of it more than the overall feature, but mm-hmm. I, I thought it was a pretty good time. I know you weren't crazy about it, and I wasn't particularly fond of Willie's Wonderland, but it's not one I hated either, to be fair for sure okay yeah
1: i, I was mixed on i, I kind of like prisoners of the ghost land that almost feels like that's cage leaning into the meme even more than right. unbearable weight of massive talent i would agree or yeah. unbearable weight of massive talent is much more like sort of introspective and like you know am i a movie star am i an actor like how seriously should i take myself and prisoners of the ghost land feels like red meat thrown at like the folks who buy sequined pillows with Nicolas cage's face on it um and also working with a, a crazy uh japanese director who turns out not to to be the best person we've learned in recent weeks um and then willie's wonderland i i did admittedly loathe even though i respected Nicolas cage for taking a gig where he didn't have to learn any lines <laughs> um but yeah so that's sort of where i'm at hey, i think right now he's existing on that spectrum where he's able to do the high art stuff that like we film critics are celebrating him for and also the direct that the internet associates him with
0: that's partly, yeah what this movie's about you know it's he's just like yeah i'm working mm-hmm. you know he he doesn't Mm-hmm. fully treat it as like some kind of like I'm doing acting for the sake of art. You know, I think nothing that pretentious mm-hmm. It's a little bit more of like, yeah, I can, I can turn out these awesome roles, but you know, I also, I need the paycheck. He ran out of money. Uh, what was it like a decade ago or something like that? And that's when a
2: lot of the stuff is yeah. like picking up and he had to pay his debts and this movie gets right. into that stuff. And- and that kind of mm-hmm. leans into like the whole like lore of him because it's like he went bankrupt, mm-hmm. like buying pyramids and stuff like that kind of adds to the whole like mm-hmm. otherworldliness of him where he's like this guy who's like, yeah, I don't people like like to believe he's like, like self serious. It has like this weird acting style. What was it called? Like Nouveau Nouveau
1: Shamanic. Nouveau Shamanic. Which they make mention yeah. of in the right. film. Yeah.
2: Which I enjoy. I, I like that people. Uh, he, he seems to be like aware. It's kind of silly. But I also like that he has his own method. And it's just like, yeah, it's my mm-hmm. thing. Like, that's just what I do. Um, but yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah, He's just a one of a kind performer. But um, yeah, whether this movie fully taps into that, that's the discussion, I guess. He's uh, he's not a method actor. He's a method person. I'm going to say that.
1: <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, and that is something that I kind of appreciated about the best parts of, of Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent is that it did feel like Cage openly reckoning to the public with the idea that he is kind of kooky and out there and he has these very specific ideas about art and like is his intensity is his sort of esoteric tastes too much for people because it is you know we should i guess we should mention sort of like at least the setup and you know cage playing a version of himself um that is a little bit over the hill david gordon green won't even give him work at this point um but he also takes himself incredibly seriously but it's more about it's less about his legacy as an actor and more about what he perceives his family it's life it's more to about be like. being
0: the gosh darn best dad he can be <laughs> well, <laughs>
1: Right. the
2: greatest role he can have is being a great dad that's the <laughs> lesson of the yeah that's that's, 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 uh, the, that's what will
0: texted me immediately after watching the movie he couldn't wait <laughs> you know that was his big line the big thing
2: mm-hmm.
1: um yeah no um yeah so i mean you know it, it's a it's an it's a rumination, I guess, in its best parts on like who he is as an actor and a persona and sort of who he is to himself and who he is to the public. Um, and so that makes the detours into like this fictionalized, we should stress family life, um, where that's the ultimate lesson that makes that part ring a little bit hollow. Well,
0: I was going to say, cause, uh, you know, in the setup for this movie, I don't think it's a hard movie to set up because because no. that's what you're saying, like everything you're saying is absolutely what's happening underneath the the, the subtext or not the subtext it's happening underneath the text. It's the subtext words. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, the, the basic idea is that, like, I think, Will, you kind of touched on it earlier. Nicolas Cage over the hill actor can't get work. But, you know, he gets paid like a million dollars to go to some dude's birthday. This dude is played by Pedro Pascal and he gets roped up in this whole kind of like crime thriller plot where, you know, Pedro Pascal is up in some like unsavory business in Spain, and All the while, he and this guy uh, named Javi, they start to become, like, really, really close friends. They start to sort of, like, bond over movies, even though one of them is, like, a dangerous criminal and the other is a dangerous Nicolas Cage. And also in this movie, we have Sharon Horgan playing Nicolas Cage's wife. We have Ike Barinholtz and Tiffany Haddish, these two FBI, CIA agents. I forget exactly which—I don't know what their jurisdiction is. Mm -hmm. I assume CIA because it's so international. But uh, they're kind of uh, trying to, like, bring in this plot or whatever. And uh, yeah, then we also have Alessandro Mestronardi from uh, Master of None, who I think probably was in a different version of this movie, and they cut yeah. out a lot because yeah. I was at one point I was like, um, I don't think this character, it, it, like, I think they forgot about this character. I don't know. Uh, also, Neil Patrick Harris has kind of like a. A very short role. But really, this movie belongs to Nicolas Cage. It belongs to Pedro Pascal. Pedro Pascal plays this guy who's like an ultimate Cage fanboy. At one point, I was like, oh, Clint Worthington is in this. Uh, oh, no, no, never mind. That's the Mandalorian.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, if only I had the criminal connections of Pedro Pascal.
0: Yeah, we'd get a lot done out here. Uh, that's for sure. That's true. It's true. Yeah. It's true.
1: Yeah. Um, but I, I'm just going to say it. Like, I think there's so many things in this
0: movie I think are really cool. And I was laughing many parts of this movie. I think the like early middle is my favorite part of the whole thing. I just, I, I love the concept of it. I love like taking Nicolas cage and just like really doing this, like meta narrative that like grinds into his being. I just wish the rest of the movie wasn't so generic. (laughs) Like, it's so yeah. generic. And I think, like, the last 30, 40 minutes, I was like, is something going to happen that's going to be surprising or unexpected or funny? And it just kind of limps along. And I, I was I was pretty disappointed by this. I was kind of sad. But, uh, Will, what did, what did you think? I don't know if you liked this
2: movie at all. Um. Yeah, I guess for me, what I find surprising about the film is that I don't have more of an emotional response to it. Uh, mm-hmm. I find myself almost sort of, like, casually, not indifferent, but kind of more like, this is fine, I guess. I agree with you, John, that, like, I kind of wish the movie was willing to either be weirder or more genuinely introspective because it kind of feels like it's in this in-between place where it's not really like digging into the real Nick Cage that much like it's kind of more leaning into the meme of it it's almost like a snakes on a plane yeah. thing where it's like the it's like an online movie where it's leaning into like the meme of what people expect Nicolas Cage to be, which is fine. Like Nicolas Cage is under no obligation to reveal his true self. His private life is his private life. He doesn't need to go into that. But like you said, the movie focuses so much on like the idea of Nicolas Cage, the family man that's all like a fabrication, all like for the sake of what the movie is. That doesn't feel Pulled from his real life the emotionality of it doesn't feel hollow but doesn't feel true to what people know of nicholas cage although and he then is about to have a daughter though right that that's just true announced. well <laughs> two i can't sons. but i don't know if, it, I don't know if his, it's like sub
1: 30 year old partner
2: yeah yeah his uh new wife who i believe is like, a year younger than me which is odd to think about but uh yeah i mean and i feel like the other problem is that like it's not like it's goofy but it's not really weird because it, it is a studio mm-hmm. comedy and it's broad and it does outlandish things but i feel like it needs to be a lot weirder to really justify being like a true gonzo nicholas cage comedy like what studio I, like you do said, you think
0: should have been on this instead of lionsgate is
2: um that that's weird? a good question yeah i, I don't know no. neon? Like neon 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 neon, 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 neon would if... probably be the one yeah because yeah. i just yeah i just feel like lionsgate's just kind of trying to appeal to like uh, you described it off the air, John, as like kind of like a Family Guy, Seth MacFarlane sort sort of thing, and I don't. It's just it a yet. Family Guy episode. That's my whole review of it. I don't know if I agree with like that comparison, but I agree with that spirit of the comment, where it's just like it is, like kind of just like. You know, like that, like reference reference thing where as opposed to like actually really digging into like the joke or if they are going to do stuff like there's like a nice, like absurd thing with guarding tests. But it's like, why don't you dig more into that? Go into like the like weird kind of nicks and corners of Nicholas Cage's career, and, thing, yeah. too. They kind of they kind of leave that be for a while. And I thought that was um, the most interesting. Boy, the Nikki Cage thing with like Vampire's yeah. Kiss and Wild Heart. Yeah, that's probably my favorite yeah. stuff outside of the Pedro Pasqual stuff. And I agree with you, Pedro Pasquale. He seems to be having the most fun and most aware of what this movie is. Even Maybe even more so. Nicholas and their Cage. chemistry
1: is good. Like yeah. like just watching them as scene partners is definitely the most interesting yeah, part. i watched and them I, watch yeah.
2: Paddington for two hours, honestly.
0: Sure.
1: Absolutely. And that's another thing. There's an extended Paddington 2 joke that among other things feels like, okay, that one is pointed straight at film Twitter where it's like, because no one cares about Paddington 2 outside of film Twitter and they should, but mm-hmm. you know, it, it's funny, like, that is one for like oh here's the for the fifty people on Twitter who like won't shut up yeah. about, about Paddington too um, yeah and going back to a point you made earlier um, I think that is the fundamental problem with this movie is that it, it it's it sort of styles itself as a deep examination of Cage's persona but over forty years it really comes to the conclusion that '90s action movie Cage is the ultimate Cage uh, the one that the most people know the movie begins with people watching. A clip from con Air. it's the cage that he um, wants
0: to be at one point
1: yeah exactly and like so it, it is it feels limiting as like you know the unbearable weight of massive talent is such a big heady title but it's like okay we're gonna follow we're gonna mostly follow this narrow sliver like i'm writing a piece for fox that's sort of like a guide to like all the easter eggs and references and stuff and i was surprised how outside of a lot of that stuff like it really is purely, like, here's the folks who, like, like face off The Rock and Con Air. Like, it is that trilogy. And it's sort of, like, is the ultimate conclusion that, like, Nick Cage cannot, ex- cannot escape that. Like, going after Pig, like, one of the reasons I think Pig was so successful is that it turned on its head the idea that, like, Action Cage would instead turn in this downbeat, solemn, really layered character performance where, like, the most action happens is him getting the the you know the crap beat out of him uh by a by a chef and then like halfway through it's like that's sort of like okay we're done with that we're doing something more you know meditative um but yeah, yeah. like the the unbearable way to massive talent just feels like okay well nick cage is gonna be like okay people know me for face off i'll wield the golden guns that's fine if that's what the people want i'll give it to them yeah I
0: can probably, yeah can, 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 I, I have a quick question for you, Clint. I mean, how do you even keep up with the Easter eggs? I felt like I was watching this, and I, there were t- I felt like there were tons of stuff that was going over my head. Now, maybe because I'm not as fresh on his filmography, but like, was it, was it true that there were a lot, or, or that maybe was I just thinking there was when there weren't?
1: I mean, I wasn't. I wasn't keeping track of like. Subtleties of like a lot of specific line readings. I mean, obviously, there's a not the bees reference, but um, I it really does feel like a lot of the Easter eggs are signposted. Like a lot of it are just in the form of dialogue, like characters talking around him. Like there's an extended bit when Tiffany Haddish and Ike Barinholtz are watching him get off the plane, and they're like, "Is this the guy we're gonna follow?" And it's like that's the actor Nicholas Cage. I love that Ike Barinholtz says that that's the actor Nicholas Cage, not just Nicholas Cage. Like because as if he needs to give. The extra context to us, the audience, as to who nicholas Cage is. You can just say nicholas Cage is fine. But there's an extended beat about like where they know each other, where they know uh the person from, where it's like Ike Baron Holtz is the 90s action cage fan where he knows him from face-off and Con air Tiffany Haddish knows him from like crudes too, because she's a mom, probably, and uh and moonstruck. Um so and I wish there was more of a push and pull between that. I wanted I wanted a little bit more moonstruck, I think, in the uh, in the final product and less face off as much as I love those movies. Like, I don't know. I just think there's a, there's a more multifaceted um, version of cage that was missing here. Yeah.
2: Cause I, I mean, you made a great point where it's like pig, pig, I mean, you can appreciate that movie on its own terms. It's a great drama. It's one of our favorites mm-hmm. from last year. But that I feel is a more genuine introspective of Nicolas Cage's career and his art and the mm-hmm. way he approaches art than anything that this movie does in a more literal fashion. And I feel like in a weird way, like we're almost kind of past this for Nicolas Cage. Like I feel like yeah. he's um yeah, like like I, I was This is a
1: movie that should have come out five, six years yeah. ago. This should have come out pre Mandy. This yeah. this yeah. is a movie that's saying Nicolas Cage is back, baby. Mm-hmm. He's not a joke anymore. But like for a good lot of us, like he was he hasn't been a joke for a long time. I guess mm-hmm. not so the main like- audience yeah, yeah, like gilding the lily, you know, right. I don't know. This is also one of the first press screenings I went to that I had in a long time that had a general audience. Oh, really? And it was like also a stark reminder of like, oh, I haven't been in a theater with like general audiences in a while. People will leave the theater after the climax. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like, okay, well, the movie's over. People like there's Daniel, but no. like, oh gosh, people leave. I and I, I experienced that a lot. There are people who, for whom, the movie ends as soon as the action is done. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. Sundance it's like, okay, well, they won. We get it. We're gonna leave. <laughs> Maybe they want to beat the parking. Who knows? Okay.
0: But, um, I mean, I do that at football um, games, so I can't say anything.
1: Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Them, there's yeah. not like a story being told mm-hmm. uh, at a football game necessarily. Um, oh, hard disagree, Clint. It's the or, story. Well, America. in the same way the narrative stories. Yeah, you know what I mean? Um, um, yeah. yeah. I was going to ask you uh, that
2: uh, I, I was thinking about this, especially with your podcast. Like, would this have been better if they really leaned into the face off thing and just had John Travolta play Nick Cage? Because I feel like John Travolta is weirdly like, more on the out at this point than nicholas cage he's had genuine tragedy and i wonder if that mm-hmm. would have made this more surreal and maybe a little bit more profound in a weird way that just me kind of
1: yeah maybe if they made if, if javi was instead um you know a, a white uh crime lord and had travolta play him right and then we could have had or, a face-off reunion
2: yeah or cage played Pedro pasquale's character in Travolta played Cage, and or like, Javi is a big face-off
1: fan specifically, and he invites both of them. Right? So, yeah, 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 they agree. reunite. Yeah. I
2: imagine this is how the writers
0: arrived where they were at. They were talking exactly like this. They're like, "Well, yeah, oh, Exactly.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're just spitballing, and well, and I I remember reading that like if if Cage wasn't going to work out, they were going to like. They had other ideas for, like, big... Like they were gonna like, let's just get Daniel Day-Lewis to right. play Nicholas Cage. Was that
2: true, though, or was that, like, a joke they said for an interview? I wasn't 100% sure. I never I thought that, that was a joke, but...
1: I, I'm sure it's a joke, but, I mean, I can dream. I definitely, um, I, I though,
0: like, there is a bit of a disconnect between... Like, it sounds like all three of us are a little down on it. Like, it doesn't sound like any of us hate it or anything like that. Either. Yeah, it, it's fine. It a little bit of a letdown of a movie, I think, at least for me. But I, I'm seeing mm. a lot of praise for this. I'm seeing, you know, and we're going to play the Rotten Tomatoes game, obviously, but... I, you know well, i go on my letterboxed, and people are like heck yeah this movie's great i'm seeing four stars four and a half five like i don't know it, it, why are why are we on the outs on this or on the outside i think it's in?
1: because we're watching it outside of the uh very rarefied atmosphere of a film South festival by, yeah um, i'm yeah, seeing it South from Air, like clicks yeah yeah i mean it's it's very very interesting i almost wonder if uh maybe for me it's because i'm too close at this point to Cage's filmography that I'm like, for for like uh, someone who is in his own way engaged in a retrospective of of who Cage is as a person and an actor. I'm like, you know, I feel like the picture is kind of incomplete where it is trying to straddle this line of like, here's like let's let's dig into who what makes Nick Cage Nick Cage, but also deliver like a mainstream studio comedy. And here's the thing: they also try to have it both ways. They try to pull an adaptation in this where it's like okay we're gonna tell you what the movie's like we're gonna start it as like this talky buddy comedy and then it's going to turn explosions because over the course of the movie they they bond javi and nick cage bond over javi's script and they're like okay well i i bonding with you i'm finding this like strange kinship with you because we have the same taste and all that and i enjoy your company let's make a movie together and they start talking about the script and the script inevitably becomes in edgar wright fashion sort of like what the tone of the movie is going to be where it's going to start as this talky thing and it's this um at first This is buddy comedy then it's a sort of tense spy thriller thing and then it's going to turn into a a, a balls-to-the-wall action movie with shootouts and car chases um and there's an extent to which that's clever and there's an extent to which you're just telling us what's going to happen and you're telling you're you're pre-signing for us that the movie's going to going to disappoint you um so get ready and um i think it maybe it would have been different i think if the uh if the action was executed a little better Mm -hmm. like you know, if it wasn't just like, oh, it's going to turn to one of those mediocre Nick Cage movies. Like, great. Hooray. I'm glad I signed up for this. Um, where, where it feels like him sort of giving in to what people expect of him as opposed to uh, overcoming it. Like, it feels like him making peace with the meme mm-hmm. in a way that feels at once liberatory and also sad.
2: Yeah. I mean, I the way I described it on Letterboxd was like, this feels like a movie that Charlie Kaufman pitched but then, like, Donald Kaufman wrote the script. Like, I know it's kind of the joke of adaptation. But, like, this feels mm-hmm. like Charlie Kaufman had, like, a mental breakdown, right? And then Donald Kaufman just decided to write, like, most of the thing. And it just feels like, yeah, there's, like, a much cleverer, more meta, more deeper film here. And it just kind of sells for being the broader, goofier, more conventional film in the process. And it's just, like, it's not bad for what that is. It just feels like there, you, you set up a promise or something a lot meatier. And it's, like, you gave mm-hmm. me a concept that is like a steak and you gave me like a Big Mac and the Big Mac's fine. I'll eat that, but I want the steak instead.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Please give me the steak. And I mean, we get the closest to that when, again, when they're on screen, like they, uh, Pascal is a, is a really great actor. Cage works really well with him. And I even appreciate like, I mean, Sharon Horgan uh, does a lot with like the few scenes that she's got. Like, I really appreciated that. She's not
0: given incredible um, dialogue or anything, but yeah, I mean, obviously it's no, Sharon Horgan. but she she's knows how to like, work.
1: there's a, there's a scene late in the film where she kind of has to bluff her yeah. way through a very tense situation that, uh, that like proves that she is in more in command of the situation than Nick Cage is because there is an element of self-delusion that they play with who which is nice um and you know some of those early scenes in the in the in the middle of the movie when he's working with tiffany hash and ike who again have nothing to do um you know like those are kind of fun there's a slapsticky sequence involving cage accidentally drugging himself uh that is that allows him to do some of that goofy physical stuff that is really nice but uh yeah. Apart from that, there isn't a lot of Cage out stuff. And like again, something left over from a, a draft, it seems, is the thing you mentioned, where like he sort of has a devil on his shoulder in the form of young, wild at heart era Nicholas Cage with the vampire's kiss hair, depicted with like uncanny valley plastic character creator um CG, which I was played, okay with played by himself
0: because it, since it's sort of like not the real, I was like okay, yeah. you didn't get away with that because you know yeah, I sure. like that. yeah.
1: And you're seeing Nick Cage's perception of what other people think Cage Rage is. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We're like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to shrug my shoulders and randomly shout syllables. And that's what people want from me, right? Um, And that that is innately interesting. But there's really only like two or three scenes with that that persona. And there's not really like a moment where that arc closes i feel yeah and i
0: if, if there is a like a mode of Nicolas cage that like translate to this sort of like generic sort of like i guess i don't understand why they didn't try instead of like this weird crime thriller caper stolen daughter thing whatever like why not just mm-hmm. go with like more of either the face-off sort of construction of a plot or like national treasure even you could have all kinds of fun with weird stuff yeah. like that um but certainly yeah like i, I hope we're not Us being a little bit down on this isn't coming off as like, all right, you're not going to like this. I I feel like Nicolas Cage super fans are going to watch this thing and and enjoy it plenty. Yeah, yeah. I just, I get the sense that people are going to watch this and like kind of just forget about it and be like, oh, yeah, that movie came out. Like, I I don't imagine it really like sticking, I guess, with people, Mm -hmm. uh, the people who do watch it, unless they're just sort of like, oh, yeah, I saw that movie uh, at South by. That was kind of cool, you know.
1: I think the people who haven't quite caught on to Nick Cage's back, baby will, I, I, that's one thing I'm appreciative of the film for. I think the people who are late to the party that like Nick Cage is actually a good actor. And we just forgot for a little while. Cause he was making some crap. Um, like I think if that brings them back on board the cage train, that's great. I mean, I'm, I'm really, really happy. And, and I did enjoy, it. I did enjoy it. Like as a whole, the experience of watching it is very enjoyable. Like I said, I think we're having a very downbeat Um, discussion of it because I think we're focusing on what's not working because I think, as you said, the festival praise was so effusive that my expectations were like maybe miscalibrated a little bit. We're like, Oh, this is going to be great. But it is just like, it's, it's Nick Cage playing with his toys. Um, it's Dick Cage playing with himself, and mm. I think that's uh, that's something. <laughs> I don't know about uh, that phrasing. <laughs> I don't know if I watch about. Uh, I don't know if I would watch like a hundred minutes of that. I mean, I guess I would. But
0: um, <laughs> I mean, you have a podcast devoted to it. I guess
1: it's true. It's true. <laughs> I mean, I just. I where where were the, where were the references for me? Where was the Zandali cut? Where is the uh, when, when talk about Left Behind? <laughs> um, you know, that's, that's what I want. Well, I, I, want I
0: totally act. forgot about that movie. Oh, there's so many Nick Cage yeah. movies that have just slipped away. You know, I,
1: when Kirk Cameron does a better adaptation of a book than the Nicholas Cage, then we're in trouble.
0: Okay, uh, I'm not going to lay it at Nicky's feet, but you know,
1: um, no, no, of course, of course. Um, but you know, yeah, again, there's just a lot of stuff. And again, scene to scene, like Cage, gets, Cage has some fun with the material because he, I think he gets different layers to play, especially in the middle act where his initial, uncomplicated adoration of Javi as someone who shares his tastes cuz that's another thing too is that like his tastes are very baroque and uh and intense like there's this whole thing where like he his daughter he doesn't get along with his daughter because instead of trying to share experiences and interests with her like she he just imposes his right. tastes on her he's like you're a philistine for not loving the cabinet of dr caligari zoomer and um you know i guess he you know that's part of that nouveau shamanic thing where he like takes his art really seriously and he wants to talk film he wants it feels like he's every conversation with him feels like he's on one of those criterion channel adventures and movie going interviews uh where he's just like talking to some programmer about like oh yeah and john ford and you know that kind of stuff and I think it, it does. The movie does a good job in the early stretch of showing the limitations of what happens when you talk to regular people like that. And I think we've we as film fans have also had that experience too when we're talking to people who aren't as as into movies as us that we do have to be like, okay, no, like I'm not gonna like talk your ear off about some obscure stuff that you're never gonna watch and you have never heard of um like what did you think cage of the latest
0: marvel okay yeah, we can talk about that that's fine
1: yeah yeah oh man and you know i i watched the latest almodovar and it was fantastic mom you'll love it <laughs> um but no that, the- that kind of grace you have to extend to people who aren't as into the thing you're into and that's a lesson that the nick cage in this movie has to learn i think that's kind of neat um but it doesn't work as well with this grander investigation of his of his career and persona that this movie sort of styles itself to be. Um, Which I think is just sort of, that's the frustration, even though I think it works and is fun and entertaining in the moment.
0: I do know the listeners, you know, they've always wanted to know the origin story of Cinemaholics. How did did John and Will first, uh, you know, become... You know, the, the Cinema hawks co host that they are today. And this movie kind of outlines it almost perfectly. They're, they have the whole thing with the pool. It's exactly how that went down. Yeah. Um, the Paddington 2 watch, you know, that was beat for beat, actually. I was actually kind of freaked out a little bit. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, that's w- when you click with like another film fan and you're just like, oh, yeah, these movies. And even when you like disagree, you're kind of like getting like, yeah. like there was stuff in that, that. Yeah, yeah, very agreeable stuff. Um, this movie is not doing super well at the box office. Uh, it's mm-hmm. made only $9.6 million and, yeah, we have we have big stuff coming out, uh, you know, like this movie's not going to be like the only game in town for a while. It's competing with the bad guys and the Northmen right now. So I don't know. And
1: even everything everywhere all at once is getting surprising legs for an mm-hmm. indie, you know, like so it's even competing amongst other indies that are surprisingly doing well.
0: Right. Right. And so I don't know how this is going to do ultimately, like, uh, especially like once we have like Doctor Strange coming out in the next two weeks and then the summer box office is going to explode. But yeah. Do you you think Mm -hmm. this is going to be a flop or, you know?
1: I think a lot of like a lot of um, underappreciated cage movies, it's going to find its audience like once it hits streaming Um, and once people are actually able to because I think, again, like this isn't even like laid at cage's feet i mean in a more stable theatrical environment this might have some legs who knows but i also wonder if you know we mentioned snakes on a plane earlier and i feel like snakes on a Mm. plane uh was another victim of that kind of like what happens when you let the internet tell you what to do thing and you're not a superhero movie um you know, this is a movie made for Nick Cage fans on the internet. And uh, I don't know if it's the most approachable for people. It's, 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 you know, directed entirely at a very specific niche. You have to be fan. You have to be a fan, whether casual or diehard, of a very specific actor who is mostly talked about in meme format. And you probably have to be, you're not going to get a lot of like, yeah. And I mean, you have to, you have to be plugged in to a certain extent. So I don't think you're going to get joe Schmo, who wants to bring his kids to the movie theater although there was a child at my screening of unbearable weight of massive talent um but you know it's 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 tough to figure out like what it, whether there's an audience big enough to sustain a theatrical release for this um which is a bummer but i think that might be the reality of things
0: all right before we move on we finish things out the rotten tomatoes game will did you have any last slots to add anything you think we missed
2: uh, I think Clint really nailed the head, uh, nailed it with this one. Uh, yeah. hit the nail on the head. Is what the I was trying to say? Yeah, yeah. There yeah. you go. That's the one. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess my only real other takeaway is just like it's easy to compare this to JCVD, which is another film about like an actor on the outs. Uh, in that case, John Claude Van Damme, who is kind of struggling with his self worth while caught up in this sort of like over the top uh, crime syndicate sort of thing. And I feel like that movie. Like I, I watched that having little to no awareness of Jean-Claude Van Damme, and I really got a lot out of it because I think it just really taps into some very deep, meaningful things. And John claude Van Damme really surprises with a heartfelt and inspired performance. And I wonder if this movie is going to fail to really capture a lot of people's imagination because it might be limited by them not having that same familiarity that we have with nicholas cage's filmography i really don't know that's why i want to talk to someone who's seen this film and doesn't have that awareness of Nicolas cage's filmography because i don't know how this movie plays it might play fine but what well, could be like, like when you yeah. watch
0: somebody play a, a board game in a movie you don't know the rules of the board game but like they're doing such a good job making it look exciting that you're like sure invested right
2: yeah, but I I do think it is kind of caught in this middle frame where it's like it's appealing more towards normies than like the more kind of fanatical fans, which is fine because I think it's going for a broader audience, but it does feel like it is not really like it's in a weird in between place where I feel like it's not quite leaning into one thing or the other. And I think that's where my main issues go is that if it really kind of defined itself by being more one thing over the other, I think I'd be more or less receptive to it. And the fact that it is kind of just like in the middle is where I find myself, I guess kind of limited in my either praise or criticism of the film. It just kind of yeah. like, like we were saying, it's kind of a middle tier film that feels a little too late, but it is, broadly appealing i think it's you know it's entertaining for what it is I, I think it has a lot of charm certainly it's at its best when either nick cage is acting opposite himself or pedro pasquale like you said i think the middle segment is where this really comes alive And i want more of that introspection with him and nicky cage uh played mm-hmm. as credited by nicholas kim coppola which i thought was a fun little joke in the credits <laughs> um yeah. yeah i mean it's fine i think it just It's just hard not to wonder what the better version I guess of this film is ultimately.
1: Yeah, I think it's a matter of timing. like the, uh, the closest analogy I could think of is like imagine making a movie now um, whose goal is to convince audiences that Robert Pattinson isn't just the Twilight Guy anymore. There are a good yeah. number of people for whom that is still true. And because it feels like every time Robert Pattinson is in a new movie, it's like that, that Twilight guy, he's finally good for like a certain subset of people. But then for a lot of us, we're like, yeah, we know, we know Robert Pattinson's good. He's been good for years. Um, so it feels like, yeah, sort of a timing thing where it's like, who is this convincing? And I know it's not me because I'm already convinced. I'm already bought in. Um, so, there is an element of preaching to the choir here that I think maybe is my fundamental disconnect with it. As fun as it is to watch in the moment.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: You don't need to sell me on Cage. I'm already sold on
0: Cage. <laughs> yeah, clearly. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, w- I was certainly – my head cannon is uh, – I was wondering after the movie, I was like – I could just see like, you know, John Travolta like walking into the AMC Burbank, you know, just being like, All right, you know, matinee showing <laughs> just by himself because he couldn't get anybody to come with him. Sitting in the audience, there's like four other people there, and he's just sitting there, just like kind of just ruminating on the film, rubbing his chin, walks out, and then somebody's mm-hmm. like, Oh, hey, John, you know, he's just like, Hey, how's it going? He's like, Oh, what what did you think of that? And he's like, You know what? Oh, it's all right. <laughs> Just like
1: very you know, like heartbreak feels good in a place like that.
0: <laughs> uh, let's play the Rotten Tomatoes game now, Clint. Uh, Will and I have been doing this thing more recently, where we've been like, you know what we we want to be more plugged in on the, the pulse of the film critic community. You know, we we, we tend to be a little mm-hmm. disconnected. We tend to forget our roots. You know, uh, we play right. a little game where uh, Will hasn't seen the Rotten Tomatoes score
2: uh, for this movie yet. I don't know if you
1: well, have. Actually, I, I, I haven't have seen too. it lately. Wait, sorry,
2: so Clint I say, has
0: not seen it. Will, you've seen it.
2: Well, I saw, I didn't directly go on to our tomatoes, but someone on Twitter there, I've seen a lot of people be like, you have to support original films. Like you got to see a Northman and everything ever wants, And this movie to like support original films and all that. And I saw someone posted the rotten tomatoes for this and Northman in that. So I didn't mm-hmm. try to, but on my timeline, I did see someone post it. So it's we'll possible it could be different this one. by now.
0: So let's, yeah. let's hope let's pray.
2: Yeah. Um, -hmm. But uh, yeah, Clint. If you
0: don't know what the score is, we're playing. It's basically a guessing game. I'm going to tell you how many reviews have been counted, and you're gonna you're gonna try to you know go for it, see if you can spot it on. Right. So we have 197 reviews counted. We'll go with you first because you you know you will has a little bit of help here. He has social media. Mm -hmm. You called a lifeline. Um, 197 reviews. What it what's your what's your guess for the tomato meter?
1: Uh, I'm willing to guess my, my guess is based on the idea that it got probably like almost universal praise at, uh, South by and is getting maybe slightly more measured, um, reviews now that it's out in general release. I'm going to say 89.
0: Okay. So 89% is Clint's guess. Will T Ashton. What do you think? What, what, I mean, you, you could just sort of guess like it could be different from when you saw it or somebody could have posted the wrong one. You don't know.
2: Um, well, when I saw it earlier, it was at 90%. I agree with Clint that I think it is uh, a little bit lower than that. But I'm going to go by Price is Right rules and go with 88. Will Ashton is spot on, 88%. Oh,
1: wow.
0: wow.
1: All right.
0: Will, you went by Price is Right rules. And you know what? That was the right thing to do. <laughs> yeah, you was were, a gamble you were and it paid off. <laughs> good move. Good yeah. move. Um, yeah, 88%. So yeah, it is dropping a little bit. I, I remember seeing it at around 90% as well, uh, before the mm. reviews really started to drop and a lot of reviews have been counted. So, uh, 197 mm. is pretty high for, uh, after just a weekend. All right. So audience score is next. We have 500 plus verified ratings. We'll start with you this time. Will, what do you think
2: the audience score is? Um, I think it's going to be lower just cause like we said, I think audiences might be, Sold on like a film that's like a 90 percent, and they're like, Oh, it's pretty good, but I don't know if it's that, so I'm gonna say 74 percent. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, I'll still say hi and say 75 percent.
0: So Clint said 75, Will said 74. They're playing a dangerous I'll game. Price here. is right, it at- yeah, he did, <laughs> yeah. he did. Uh, Clint, you win by default, it's 87 percent. Oh wow, higher than, uh, higher than both of you thought yeah I mean, a bit off interesting that
1: they're in lockstep you're in yeah. but then again also the numbers like the way numbers work yeah. on Rotten tomatoes is so perplexing
0: it's it's an algorithm i don't think we'll ever truly understand uh, which is why we also do the cinema score when that is available so that's a little bonus oh, yeah. clint yeah you're like yeah Got of course it. yeah of course we're doing cinema score <laughs> oh, 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 uh, right <laughs> all right clint we'll we'll let you guess this one uh first. so cinema score obviously uh, high is high is a plus low is f what do you think
1: I'm gonna say I'm gonna say solid B, mm-hmm.
0: and then Will, what do you think?
2: um Yeah, I feel like it's either a B or a B plus. Since Clint said B, I'm gonna say B plus. Ah, he prices rated it again. It's B plus. <laughs> Dang, man, I, that was just me. Uh, because I was thinking rigged. B, I was thinking B, but I was like, I don't want to just say the same thing that Clint said. So, oh, wow, <laughs>
1: stop the steal.
2: Um, <laughs> oh man, and then we have one last,
0: Clint. Yeah, we're gonna keep you here for a while. Sorry, sure. Uh, one last, right. and that's the uh, this is my favorite, the letterbox average, because these are our people, mm. you know, letterbox, yeah. America's favorite website. Um, mm-hmm. we have 27,000. Views or like people have logged it on letterbox which is pretty good. Yeah, uh, usually when Will and I do this, it's like in the teens. Um, sometimes it's less than 10,000, so 27,000 is very good. Uh, okay, mm. average rating between zero and five stars. Uh, what do you think, Will?
1: I'll go with you first.
2: Um, 3.3.
0: Okay, Clint, I'll do 3.5, 3.7. Clint, wow, I think you and Will are kind of are almost tied right or yeah, you're yeah, tied, you're tied, yeah, yeah yeah oh, we don't have a tiebreaker so we're just gonna say you both take home the prize you both have unbelievable
1: good. we'll break economy. it in half like a wishbone <laughs> here and,
0: uh, yeah you're yeah. one several to one's cage there. we'll
1: bury each end of the prize at the opposite ends of the earth so people have to go on a mighty quest to bring the pieces together
0: yes now that's a treasure that i would find national <laughs> um okay <Yes. laughs> clint thank you again so much for oh, coming yeah. on Lending, of course, thanks for having me on lending your yeah. cage, uh, with us. And, uh, it was a blast. More fun than the movie for yeah. me.
1: No, of course. Well, I appreciate that. I, I don't, yeah, I, I, the movie's still fun, but I did have a lot of fun talking with you guys.
0: Uh, you, you, you plugged a few things at the beginning. Is there anything more specific too that you got coming out soon that you want to like, maybe, or maybe like repeat that you talked about earlier, just in case people forgot. Uh,
1: I mean I guess if you if you want to follow my stuff I mean I'm on Twitter at Clint Worthing if you want to catch sort of my general gestalt of all the crap I'm doing I'm doing a very comprehensive breakdown of every Liam Neeson Taken era action film oh, uh, for us. this week for in, in, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a long weekend of stuff that I've largely enjoyed. I mean, I'm, I'm in, I'm in the bag for Liam Neeson growling and punching people. Um, especially when Jimmy Collette, Sarah is directing, but yeah, look forward to that. Uh, I'm going to have a more comprehensive, hopefully, um, guide to all the Easter eggs in unbearable weight at fox and other than that i'm on just like the crazy review beat for everybody uh, so yeah, yeah uh yeah and you can go to the spool at the spool.net um and you can subscribe to our you can pledge to our patreon it would really really help us we're a small independent media outlet you know how bad things are <laughs> uh, uh for for folks you know even even big outlets and we're just really running on sweat equity and like you know just patience and grace so like any money you can help uh, any money uh that you can send to uh help us stay alive would be greatly appreciated i see second that the
0: spool is a fantastic community of writers i've truly talented yeah. people on there um, except for me um but then no. <laughs> but yeah no uh, we'll link we'll link You're your great. twitter in the show notes of course and thanks again this was awesome thanks for having me on this was this was a blast now the party can start <laughs> no that was cool uh he's yeah i liked it it's good having an expert on because i i, I would have been flailing trying to like figure out nicholas cage without clint's expertise
2: (laughs) no i I just kind of felt back because like you're the host but like clint was saying all this stuff about nicholas yeah and this and all my stuff nicholas cage and you're just kind of like yeah nick cage is cool the 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 national treasure the rock yeah (laughs) oh man i do i do love me some national
0: treasure can't wait for the third one
2: um uh yeah so that's gonna be a show now
0: what
2: is that gonna be like a show now it's not a movie no, but they could still make a movie with him because the show wouldn't have him. Oh, he's not involved with the show. I didn't think so. Let me look that. Up. I, I thought, thought they that, were going to do like I a scrub season nine thing where he's like yes, there they're, for they're like two, two a, episodes.
0: Yeah, they're doing a yeah. Disney Plus thing, but I think it's a totally different cast except for the one guy. And uh, oh, I thought, Justin
2: Bertha or whatever. But if it's successful, yeah. I think
0: they'll still do a National Treasure three
2: with Nick. Oh, Pace I the see. Night. They're testing the waters a bit. Kind of like That's their toe in the pond and being like "Hey, National Treasure. Is that something you guys like? Because so I think they kind of did that with uh, My Ducks, right? They're kind of like, hey, is kind this of something
0: right? you want? It's, it's going to have one of those, you know, requel sort of things. Um, sure. Yeah. They have
2: like 12 scripts, right, for this third National Treasure. They can just take one of them and
0: well, they, do it. They've
2: been working on it since like 2008. so um, And they were yeah, like, I oh, mean, yeah,
0: we're going to take our time and everything. And then I think like 2018, they, that was when they were really like, okay, like we think we have something, but then... I think especially like once COVID hit, they were like, cause they, they had like mm-hmm. the gears in motion Then they were like, okay, okay, never mind. And then the, I the think Cage, I, I think he said as recently as this year, he was like, oh yeah, I haven't even seen a script for this.
2: I think I wrote about this at cinema blend a year or two ago. If I recall, I forgot correctly. you used to write there. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I hope if they make a third one that they just, um, what was the thing they set up in the second one page, uh, 47 or whatever. Uh, remember that like at the end of national treasure 2 they have a big cliffhanger where it's like turn the page 47 or something oh yeah it's like the big secret of the i always assumed
0: it wasn't a cliffhanger it was something that we'll never know because it's like there's no way that it would be more interesting than our imagination
2: Uh, i thought that was supposed to be like a cliffhanger for the next film i mean maybe so i i I mean i remember watching it and not really caring
0: or thinking there would be a third one because i was like i think this is it i think this is all they need um, but then, of course, I grew up and I was like, I was wrong. We need more. Let's talk about the bad guys. You know, now that now that Clint's gone, boom, it's ba- time boom, to talk boom, about
2: boom, boom, something ba- he, would boom, 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 he would never understand. He would
0: never understand bad guys. He's too much of a goody two shoes, you know, pays his taxes, is nice to people, good citizen. Sure. Forget that. Recycles, for- <laughs> I, I assume. What?
2: I said recycles, I assume.
0: Yeah, yeah. What a nerd. Um, No, but it's time for us to get... On our uh, you know our bad side, time to howl a little bit. So DreamWorks is back. You know we had when was the last time we had like a big budget original DreamWorks animated movie in theaters? Like we've gotten like the Netflix stuff, right? Um, but we haven't really. I'm I'm trying to think. Like uh, I'm going to look up like the DreamWorks film list or whatever and see if there's something I'm forgetting.
2: Yeah, I mean, because I know there was How to train a your couple, there you? were a couple. Oh, that, uh, was a well, that was a sequel, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, there were a couple of sequels that came out during the pandemic, like Boss Baby 2, uh, Trolls 2, mm-hmm. Crudes 2, as we mentioned in uh, our conversation That's on right. the Unbearable Way of Massive Talent. Trolls World
0: Tour, that was one of the first, like, uh, PVODs that they tried to do during COVID. Yeah. But I'm trying
2: abominable. to think if there was any abominable. Yeah, that might be the last one.
0: Yeah, yeah, because we saw that in theaters. I remember that. It's 2019.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and then before I mean, that we had yeah. a
0: trainer dragon and before that we had Captain Underpants.
2: So, yeah, Captain Underpants, I feel is the last one I remember really falling for and everything else since has been like, yeah, I do think you fell art. for it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh you mean it movie. in a, like, a positive way? <laughs> no, I mean, like, I thought that was I, I don't know. Like, did you not like that movie? Oh, no, I like Captain Underpants. I'm just giving you I'm just teasing. I cool. mean that would, it is funny. Like of all the movies, they give sequels of basically everything except for the one that was like Captain the Underpants. First colon, epic the first <laughs> epic movie, yeah. So what? maybe yeah, they'll
0: they, do a sequel eventually, right? Because they did the show. I, I imagine the show did fine, but we don't. I obviously
2: know. Yeah, yeah, I. I mean, they have a Puss in Boots movie coming up, so they're staying in the sequel game for the time being. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, I forgot they did a Spirit Untamed film. They did do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, last year. But yeah, they've been. They've been really leaning into the sequels of late. So you are right that the bad guys is a fresh change of pace, and that it is. It is not.
0: Yeah, because uh, they have a sequel. couple of untitled films coming out in production that are supposed to be originals, but we don't know what they are yet. Because the other, the only other movie besides *Post and Bolts*, I know there's going to be the third *Trolls*, but yeah, we don't know anything else.
2: Yeah, I mean, they've been kind of keeping think. their cards close to their chest, I guess, in that respect.
0: Yeah, and um, for sure, with like uh, *Captain Underpants*, especially like. I think part of the the reason that might have like gotten a little bit of like a woo um, is because it wasn't universal. It was a 20th century Fox. And I think it, maybe they shuffled things around for trolls because that was such a big hit for them. Because trolls was also 20th century. Um and Boss Baby as well. And I think some of that stuff was maybe kind of wrapped up in the Fox deal. So I don't know. I I don't know how the rights for that work. I think if Captain Underpants had been a universal thing, maybe we'd have more of like a sequel kind of in the pipeline. But who knows? Who knows? Um, All that said. Oh, and don't forget, we do have the there's going to be another Shrek film. I forgot that they did announce that technically.
2: Puss in. Oh, you you mean like an actual Shrek? Yeah. Fifth Shrek film. Um, Yeah. Supposedly. Supposedly. That's going to happen. I mean, I've heard many different things. I've heard that's a sequel. I've heard it's like a reboot i've heard it's a direct reboot i don't know what it is I, I haven't heard something official about it since probably like
0: 2018 I mean, or something so it's you know i don't want to get well it. cameron
2: diaz is retired so how are they going to work around that they're gonna recast uh, her. My impression of Cameron Diaz is pretty good, so they got a resource right here. Uh, <laughs> okay, do you want to do that for the air
0: on the air right now for the listeners? Uh, well, you know what? It, I already did it in my audition tape for DreamWorks. Oh, so, okay, you yeah, know,
2: you're yeah, you don't want to give. I don't want to spoil that. You know? I don't want them to yeah, hear it too
0: enough. much because uh, then yeah, they're gonna be like, ah, I heard this before. Uh, sure. I guess that's like what they want, but you know. Um, anyway, <laughs> the bad guys. Original. Uh, the tagline for this movie is "Good is no fun at all." I agree. Good movie. Good morals. Um, the plot of this movie essentially is we're following kind of, uh, actually I, I almost said like nursery rhyme characters, but it's more of just like traditional, like bad evil characters throughout all of time. It's kind of a mix of things. You have like the big bad wolf, right? Voiced by Sam Rockwell. Um, and then you have the snake, I guess they're kind of doing a mix of like, okay, Adam and Eve, the snake is evil. Then also snakes in general throughout history. You could say the snake from like jungle book, whatever you want to do, uh, voiced by, mark marin you have the tarantula i guess that's arachnophobia you know uh miss tarantula voiced by aquafina uh you have shark jaws you know like that makes sense uh voiced by craig robinson and then you have uh, a piranha uh which i guess uh, yeah piranha 3d we all we all that's classic uh, voiced by anthony ramos and then richard Iodie voices a guinea pig uh, named professor marmalade we have zazie beats as the governor of california not zach Morris though but diane foxington who you know i imagine this is you know we were kind of talking about this off the air is probably going to awaken some like furries in the audience um for this uh, this movie but maybe you want to
2: get into this now <laughs> i was gonna save this for the end if you want to get into the furry I'm stuff just teasing, we can do that just, just teasing, just teasing right.
0: for for later i guess and All then right. Alex borstein voices the police chief so okay that's the cast. Uh, The idea is that they're a group of bad guys. They've been running capers for who knows how long. It's a city that's kind of like, it's not like Zootopia, literally. It's kind of like BoJack Horseman more, where you have some characters are animals. Most Mm -hmm. characters seem to be humans. And then you have some like animals that are like not smart animals. They're kind of like, you know, regular animals in our world. It's kind of like a weird thing. It's like, what if our world as it exists right now also had these characters who are like smart animal things kind of like integrated into society? Sure. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Why not? I can I can handle that. Uh, this movie is very much like trying to take like Steven Soderbergh, you know. It's trying to take a little bit of like Tarantino and kind of have like a bit more of like a modern urban crime edge to it but of course it's a family comedy uh it's very like fun for kids brilliantly animated uh especially like in a very original way like they're doing something very different. Like i don't think this type of cell shading we've seen a lot of this like mix of like 2d and 3d but in a way that doesn't feel like a cheap video game it definitely feels to, at least to me like this world yeah. is just like kind of different
2: I was wondering about that because there is a trailer, at least when I saw it, there was a trailer for the new Puss in Boots movie. And it seemed like they were incorporating that style into that movie as well. And it seems like, you know, both these movies in terms of their animation style seem very inspired by Into the Spider-Verse in that respect. I'm wondering if that's just the new, like that's just the new norm for DreamWorks. Like maybe, I don't know if it's cheaper to do it that way, but it may, it seems certainly more stylistically old of them and maybe that's their way of differentiating themselves from all I think the it's eye-catching Pixar you know, comparisons yeah. I,
0: I think there are probably a lot of reasons there's probably an efficiency thing like not necessarily that it's cheaper technology but that like the technology itself is e- maybe it's easier to edit maybe it's easier that's to get what the I mean, lighting yeah. right yeah. yeah like it takes less time and then you could also argue that audiences responded to into the spider verse because it was animation they hadn't really seen before Mitchell's versus machines was kind of doing the same thing and like, you know you get other movies like what wish dragon which I think is a fun story but like that world feels very like smooth and weird. Like I don't, it's not as immersive. It doesn't have as much texture, but it it costs so much money to have the texture of an animated movie like soul that you could see a movie like this where maybe there, it's just easier to bring all that stuff about on a tighter budget
2: and get
0: a bigger box office return.
2: It does make me feel kind of, I I think, Captain Underpants looks great as it is, but I wonder if the style would have been better deployed for that film and maybe it would have been cheaper and that would have been less of a loss for them. That's I I don't mean to keep bringing up Captain Underpants. That's a sore subject. Please do, actually. Uh, (laughs) Uh, uh, Why not? Let's keep doing it. Um, Yeah.
0: This movie is doing super well um, because, as we mentioned, it, it's a low budget. It costs less than like a typical like first IP Illumination movie. Like usually, Illumination makes their movies for like ninety million to $100 hundred million. This movie reportedly costs between sixty nine and eighty million. It's already soared past that worldwide. It is doing quite well, and I think rightly so. I think this is a pretty good movie. It's formulaic. You know, you can break down its structure. You, you can it, very easy for adults to just kind of like predict everything that happens, basically. But I, I do think that this has like an eye catching, eye popping style to it, and because it's formulaic, I mean, it's satisfying in formulaic ways. Like you know, you have the typical character arcs. There are a few little things in the movie that I didn't you know see coming, like very smaller things, but certainly enough that I was like, you know what. This is a movie. It's kind of like laid out as a movie and you can enjoy it as such. It's baby's first Ocean Eleven. And uh, I think I think it works for that. So uh, what, what do you think, though?
2: Yeah, I mean, I didn't really have too many expectations for this. But when the project was announced, I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. It kind of reminded me of um, do you remember um, that kid's book. I think it was from the 90s. Uh, the True Story of the Three Little Pigs. No, uh, John Seska, I believe, wrote it. Do you remember that? I don't. I don't think we had that at our book okay. fair. Okay, I remember that one. I read that. I think like in kindergarten or maybe first grade. It was an interesting story because it's all it's a three little <laughs> pig story. <laughs> kindergarten, where Lash was like, it's an interesting story. Yeah. Like, explaining to his teacher, <laughs> uh, you you, <laughs> okay, you wait, John, because <laughs> I was gonna say that that story to me, uh, kind of casually, was sort of transformative because that whole story. Is uh, the three little pig story obviously from the big bad wolf thing? It's like you guys got it all wrong, you know. Uh, this is all fake news. This is the real story of what happened from his perspective, and it's like, oh wow! Like I, in my kid brain, I was like you can tell a story from a different perspective and it's the same story but it's told in a whole new way so for yeah, me yeah. it's a storytelling practice that was kind of revolutionary keep in mind again this is me <laughs> in kindergarten so <laughs> you hadn't you hadn't gotten around yeah to like you know what if
0: Jafar was the good guy in a lad right and that stuff
2: yeah uh, but I don't know wicked. I mean it, it just reminded me of that because like you said like the big bad wolf is the the lead here it's not quite as a uh, I guess, fresh is that film or that story. Uh, But yeah, it is like it's kind of playing with expectations where it's like it's like, let's have some fun with the big bad wolf and his croonies of, you know, 'er ne'er-do-wells and, you know, how how they go around doing naughty things. But like, what if they decide to be good? And it's like, yeah, it's a cute concept, I think. I I prefer when a movie leans into the style more and it kind of plays that up. I I I feel bad saying this, but I, I think it's better when it is bad. As far as like the characters being bad, not like when the movie's oh, Okay. Bad. Yeah. Uh, I think it's better when the movie leans into them being, uh, you know, crime loving animals who are you know doing heists and all this stuff. Like they can't do that, I feel though, like for a kids, right. maybe.
0: Yeah.
2: I just kind of wish the rest of it was a little bit more inspired in the process like you like we were talking about before like i feel like it's fairly easy to see where the plot's gonna go they set the crumbs up pretty quickly and it's like okay then you just gotta wait for this part to happen and then this part and then this part and this part and obviously this is a film for kids and for families so i'm not asking them to be like yeah most people are pinpoint this stuff i guess not but i'm just saying like if they just changed up even a little bit it would have been to the film's benefit like you said like it's not you know, the worst in the world to be formulaic, but just can you change it like a little bit if you're going to mirror Soderbergh and Tarantino? Just I, I feel like that's not a huge ask. Oh. Yeah, I imagine they wanted
0: to play it safe because especially it is the first of an IP. So, yeah, they they want this thing to be satisfying on such a broad level uh, that I think they, that was more of a priority and, you know. That's sad. But like, yeah, I, I get the thinking behind it, at least. One thing I do like, though, that they do, resist, they do resist the temptation, I think, of trying to make this like hoodwinked, trying to like make this feel be another Shrek where a lot of the jokes are references. A lot I of the say. jokes mm-hmm. are like, well, it's a big bad wolf. So we're going to make jokes about the three little pigs and Red, Red Riding
2: Hood all the time. They don't do that much of it. They that's do very little of my, it. That's my favorite thing, actually, because I was afraid about that. I was like, this is from the studio, brought Shrek I don't think they say that in the marketing, but you could imagine a world where they did that and it's, you know, like them making like kind of cheesy references, jokes like that. And it seems like this is a natural progression for them where it's like they are kind of doing a new spin on a familiar story, but they're not relying on like, you know, kicking Disney to to tell a story. They're actually telling a story, which is nice. Can I say, though, where this movie succeeds the most are in two areas
0: the sort of like buddy crime comedy caper stuff. Like I think we already mentioned, I think that stuff is fun. The heists are fun. They're imaginative. They're fun to follow. Right. Um, The other thing too, is I think this movie has a little bit of a Sly Cooper kind of edge to it. It's also a little bit of like, I, I don't know. Well, if you ever played that game for the PlayStation, uh,
2: what Cooper <laughs> Sly Cooper. Oh, Sly! Like, I thought you were talking about our friends, Cobb and Cooper.
0: No, no, no. And Sly Cooper. The, I, I uh, the was going to say raccoon.
2: Yeah. You know, in a way, I, I like to think the bad guys are, you know, channeling and continuing the spirit of Cobb and Cooper.
0: There's a bit of a, what I'm getting at is there's a bit of a light romantic comedy to this, um, you know, between the Big Bad Wolf and, you know, the goody two shoes, Fox. Um, and I mean, Fox in more ways than one. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I'm just trying to make Will uncomfortable. Um, yeah. Once again, uh, who is uh, voiced by... Um, if I, if I can remember, because now Azazi beats, uh, she, 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 and she's like a bit of a love interest. Right. And I, I certainly was like watching this movie and being like, Hmm, I, I mentioned this before. I feel like they, they're kind of like playing up. There's a bit of like a Lola bunny kind of thing going on here. Do you, do you agree?
2: Uh, maybe more of like a Danny ocean and, uh, what's Julia Roberts character from oceans 11. I don't remember her name in it, um, uh, no, but uh, his the, ex, but it's not that. Yeah kind of thing i, I guess, don't know but, but there's like a little bit of like a will they won't they kind of that, that, Will they won't they could they should they you know like being bad brings out the best in them sort of thing like you know i you know they don't they have a history but not a direct history all that i don't know i, I it's not a direct parallel but i feel like that's it's more so than the lola bunny thing that you're referring to <laughs> here here's here's the weak the weak link of the cast for me
0: and i hate to say this because i've liked plenty of her work before but Aquafina and the the I think it's not really the voice performance. It's just the tarantula character. I thought was like the least like interesting of the of the core group. Uh, I didn't think she. Yelled. I don't know. She didn't get a lot of jokes. She didn't really like have uh... much impact on the plot. I guess, I guess the piranha didn't either. But the piranha was such like obvious comic relief. And then the snake and the shark kind of have their own sort of like mini plot, right? But where did the tarantula really come in? I I don't know.
2: She's the the hacker. Mm, she has a I mean I think she has a clear uh, role in the team but I agree she is not as personality driven but they can't all be eccentric you know you gotta have someone who's level headed to get these you know these things happening
0: I guess so I I guess I just you know wanted it to oh and since we were
2: talking about book fairs before this is also I forgot to
0: mention based on a book series Um, maybe it was the book series Will that you read in in kindergarten I don't know Um, which is it uh, it literally is called the bad guys. Um, okay. That it, it's based on, uh, it's like a scholastic book series. Um, I forgot who it's by though. And I haven't read those books. I imagine this like only borrows a bit from them.
2: <laughs> I, yeah, I, um, haven't gotten to that one on my Goodreads reading list. Yet. There you go. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, this is also the directorial debut, of Pierre Parafel, who is a DreamWorks mainstay. He's been working with the studio for a long time. Um, he worked on, I think, as early as like Curious George. Like It's been uh, quite an adventure. He was uh, the supervising animator on Rise of the Guardians, one of the best movies, I think. And I, I think he worked on uh, Shrek Forever After. So there's a bit of a Shrek connection there, at least. But uh, yeah, no, this is his directorial debut. And I think, I think he did a pretty decent job. The screenplay is by Eaton Cohen, not to be... Uh, confused with Ethan Cohen, <laughs> which I always do whenever I see his name in the credits. I'm just like, ah, yeah. Uh, but of course, this is the uh, the writer of like Men in Black 3. Right. And uh, one of the best films of the last decade, Holmes and Watson. Sure. I'm just uh, I but do. I, actually, I do think Tropic mm-hmm. Thunder, genuinely good. movie. Oh, uh, yeah. no, Probably it's- probably his best one. But um, I know people like Idiocracy. I, I think Idiocracy is kind of a yep. problematic territory for me. But yeah, that's a conversation uh, like- for another day.
2: I like that movie. Fine, uh, I think there's stuff in it. Certainly, a, any R-rated 2006 comedy is going to have stuff that doesn't age as well. By I think it's modern more of a Mike Judge
0: thing too. I don't know if I want to lay it at his feet, but yeah.
2: Yeah, well, we can discuss that later, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would like to see a day, especially now that the Cohen brothers are no longer together. If Joel Cohen uh, spelled C O H E N, the Screenwriter from Toy Story and Garfield the movie would team up with Ethan Cohen, the without the H and Ethan, uh, and and make a Cohen brother film with the you know the two of them together. I, I think there are that's just that. money on the table. Yeah, yeah. money on the table is right there. Wish uh, Dragon 2. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It <laughs> has to be something like totally random. Um
0: uh I don't have too much else to say about this movie. I mean, there's not much else about it that I think is like I had I think it has a really good score. Um, like I think it makes the world feel alive It kind of it's Daniel Pemberton what are you going to do he's obviously very good um, and I it, we've said it a bunch of times I just think the look and feel of this movie is unique and uh, certainly a fun one to watch on the big screen I can see why people are like yeah I want to watch this I mean it has that same sort of appeal something like the Secret Life of Pets where the concept is very easy to get very quickly it's not based on something you've seen before but that's actually a plus in its favor you know you're not feeling like oh I'm going to watch like the fourth Minions movie no no you are going to watch this new movie that's like looks like it Will be as satisfying as some of those movies were the first time I saw them. So, uh, yeah, good time. And uh, Sam Rockwell, very good vocal performance. I, I,
2: yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, he
0: carries think, the movie I'm, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think him and Rich Aote give the best voice performances in the film, but I think Ooh, everyone... agree disagree with that.
0: I don't like Richard Aote's voice in general for animated movies, because it, I, I get this, like, James Corden kind of, like, uh, it's Richard Aote. I, uh, I, I don't know. That. I, 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 this is a hang-up I had with Soul, as well, because he voiced the hippie dude.
2: But the difference is that Rich Aote can tell a joke, and he's funny. I, yeah, yeah. I don't remember laughing, now, so maybe maybe I didn't get the joke. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm not talking just about this movie. I mean, in general, I think Richie Ayoti is. Oh, a very oh I was going to say in the man. movie. I, you know, I agree with you. Yes,
0: uh, in real life, Richie Ayoti is a treasure, so and he's I'd...
2: great with dry delivery and all that. So, um, yeah, I guess we'll just have to disagree there. I think Zazie Beats was also, you know, good. I think the voice cast yeah. in general is good here. Craig Robbins, or Craig Robinson, yeah, uh, was fun. I think the, the shark is actually the only character I think that really made me like laugh out loud. Because there's a running gag with oh, him yeah. where he's like a master. It's a, it's a little <laughs> mini Master Disguise movie happening here. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. gonna bring up all of the, the movies we've covered on uh in Ogre Tits Ogre in this review. I've already talked about Shrek and Garfield now Master Disguise. But um yeah, I mean there's a running gag where he's like a masterful uh disguise, uh master disguise and like <laughs> You know, like it's he just a like is able to fool people, and there's a, there's a joke I don't want to spoil it involving a uh, uh, involving a baseball that I think yeah. it, it genuinely made me laugh out loud. I thought that was such a good <laughs> gag. Um, I I wish the movie was like that funny throughout because I don't think the most of this movie I don't think is very funny. I think it's pretty clever, but it's not really like super funny outside of that stuff. You may yeah, disagree I kinda, with that. No, but. I, I basically
0: agree. Yeah, it glides along and I, I would agree. Yeah, the shark, the shark gets the best jokes. The I kind of gets like the kiddish jokes, you know, of like, you know, the farts and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, a lot of
2: fart jokes in this, yeah.
0: But, uh, you know, they, they usually serve the story, so I'm, I'm fine with them. Uh, I can't believe I said that. Um, I think, the one thing that felt a little bit undercooked was like so you have Mark Marin voicing the stake the snake who straight out he basically Tim Roth from Pulp Fiction, you know, whatever sure. you want to do there. And he's kind of the stinker and I don't know. No, the, the, the
2: thinker the Piranha, you see. He was talking you about Yes, this. That's, yeah, true, yeah. that's true.
0: <laughs> no, but he's he's sort of like, yeah, he's he's kind of like the uh what's the, the there's a the, the cooler, the kind of there's, He's there's a
2: sourpuss, you know. He's no, the, like
0: There's another word for it in storytelling, you know. He's kind of like the lieutenant to the the lancer. That's what it is. He's the lancer okay. to the main character. And like a lot of the movies like emotional beats like kind of rest on his relationship with the big bad wolf and I don't know. There was something about that that I thought didn't come together very Gracefully, but you know, I don't know. I, I'm not going to over criticize it.
2: I mean, I just think that they should have locked the gate and discussed their beef on a podcast. I think that should have been the third act that we we were robbed of. But every uh, every podcast know, Mar-
0: has like three people, right? You know that meme. Um, the three yeah. people here would be the wolf, <laughs> the shark, and and the snake. Is that it?
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, no, that that is exactly right. Um, I was going to make a joke, but it's not PG, so I, I will. Save wow. it for another review. Yes, um, yeah. <laughs> not, a, not a PG uh, podcast yeah. anymore. Yeah, but I mean, it's also a PG film. I don't want to. I don't want to bring cr- crude language into this. We can save our. You know, y- you clearly want to get into the furry thing, and I guess that will uh, spoil <laughs> well, this review. Great,
0: speaking of clean, I mean, this is a clean hundred minutes, hour forty in and out. It moves pretty well. It's a pretty breezy film. That's part of the. For- I think that's why the formulaic aspect of it didn't bother me as much because it at least it made for an efficiently
2: told story. So. Yeah, I I think it's just missing that oomph, though. You know, like yeah. it's, it has like all the elements that should work. Like it doesn't it's have not a like Pixar moment. It doesn't have the like, oh my gosh,
0: you know, like make you reconsider what you just watched.
2: Yeah, I, don't, I mean, it's like like all the elements are working here, except just I mean, like the script's clever, but it's not super funny, and it's not super original, as we were mentioning. So it feels like it's missing like that, like like a, maybe like a polish or something would have really brought up more of the jokes. Like it's inspired and it's stylistic. But it doesn't feel like it's really like satirizing the genre as well as I think it should. But it's like a film for kids. So it's like you you can't really expect it to like lean into like the R-rated influences too much. So I don't know. But uh, yeah, I, don't know, I, I feel like that's what's the film is decent as it is. I feel like there's a good, maybe even great film that keeps getting left on the table here. But as it is, it's fine. It's certainly easy to recommend.
0: OK, I can agree with that. Um, I guess that's a good place to end it. I feel like we covered it. Uh, the Bad Guys. It's out in theaters. Worth your time. If you want to watch with the whole family. I don't think you have to rush out to the theater if you're not like, I think if you're a fan of animation and you want to see how this, anime, this style is being done on, I think there is like an interest there. If you love animated movies and you're like, wow, you know, like this is kind of different. It's kind of taking something with like with Spider-Verse and Mitchell's kind of merging it with other things that DreamWorks has done really well. For that aspect, I think this is worth seeing because you'll, you'll get a good movie out of it as well, I think. Uh, decent to good. And uh, for families, this is a no-brainer. Families will enjoy this quite a bit. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes game. Let's see what the critics have to say, though. You know, like we were, you know, we were critical, sure. But you know, what about the what about the film critics? What about the ones who are on the tomato meter as we speak? We have 129 reviews counted. Uh, far less. It's so funny. It's like this movie has made eight times the money as unbearable weight of massive talent, but it has way fewer reviews counted on Rotten Tomatoes. That's the, that's the business.
2: Yeah. That's it. I mean. It is pretty wild that like I've I mean, this is all my circle, but like I see people talking about the Northman, the Northman, the Northman, unbearable way, a mess of talent, unbearable way, of mess of talent. Right, yeah, same here. And, and then there's the bad guys, which is, yeah, I mean, I that's haven't also seen it. I not the weekend. peep. Yeah. Very, yeah. very little chatter yeah.
0: about it. But that's what it was like. That was thing too. Right.
2: Uh, um, yeah. I mean, just, you know, we don't have kids. Um, you know, we, we're we not family men. Quite well, I, yet. Like, I like to think the Cinemahawks listeners are our kids.
1: Anyways, uh, sure. So yes. we,
2: <laughs> and also, we we, did we parent. <laughs> yeah.
0: Exactly. Clearly, yeah. we don't have kids because we almost talked about furries. um 129 reviews counted. Will Ashen, what do you think the Rotten Tomato score is for this movie? Um,
2: 86 percent. Spot on, Will. Yeah. Did you cheat? I didn't look at the score. I oh. don't know this one. Like I said, well done, I, I mean, unless like I like. So I'm passing and don't remember, but I don't think I saw this one. I trust you and believe you 100 million percent.
0: 86 uh, percent spot on. Well done. Um, I, I think that's a pretty good guess, too, because, I mean, it, it does have that sort of uh, certified fresh. I'm sure the average rating is not amazing, but there's so few things to like really harp this film on. Like, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's like very easy film to just give a pass. You know what I mean? Uh, it's got a lot of good things working for it. OK, audience score. We have a thousand plus verified
2: ratings. What about that? Um,
0: eighty four percent, ninety three percent. So okay. higher than the critic rating. I'm surprised you thought it would be lower than the critic
2: rating. I don't know. I just i I wasn't sure if this would be in the 90s or not. That, that's what helped me back. I was gonna say 89, mm-hmm. but I wasn't sure. Interesting. Interesting.
0: I was kind of gliding through the rotten reviews. I don't really see any mutuals on here, like friends of the show. So, you know, just some <laughs> anyone people, we can call out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. But yeah. I'm just saying like New York times, uh, a couple of big outlets were like, nah, this isn't, this ain't it. Um, not a fan actually, same, yeah. <laughs> slant magazine, which you write for uh, pretty frequently, uh, give sure. it a rotten score. So, um, I don't know if you know, Derek Smith,
2: but okay. Uh, I do not. Uh, let's
0: go to sure. He's boxed. Uh, or no, Cinema Square. I almost skipped to Cinema Square. Okay, Blashen. A plus to F. What do you think?
2: Uh, I think this is also a B plus.
0: This is an A. Wow. Yeah. Hey,
2: I, they you, must. You were underestimating
0: towards... the audience. You know.
2: Yeah, I mean, but you know, they gave an A to uh, Sing Two, so I guess they just really enjoy wholesome think, family kids films.
0: I think animated movies have pretty decent track on this stuff because that's the thing. It's like even the parents aren't going to you know, in front of their kids. You know, in Vegas. You know, it's just like. They gambled and they lost. You know what I mean? It's just like, no, they're going to be like, yeah, I kept my kid distracted for an hour and 40 minutes. I'm in. Yeah. yeah, A. Okay.
2: Calling their bookie and trying to figure out how they can (laughs) make that 42,000 that they lost. There you go. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Okay. We have a letterbox average. Uh, Wow. Okay. So just, just to repeat, when we did unbearable weight, we had 21,000 people had logged it on letterbox. This is 9.1,000. OK, so yeah, just just tells you we're giving you a range. That's for sure. Well, um,
2: I mean, south all by southwest. The eight, you know, it, all the four to 12 year olds are keyed into this film. I don't think are on Letterboxd quite yet. So well put well will put.
0: Um, OK. And then uh, what do you think the average rating is? Um, three point two. It is a
2: three
0: point five. So right, you, yeah, you I'm, guess I'm, a little bit low lower balling. on
2: everything except the yeah. critics were. I don't know why. Yeah, I guess I just I, I'm just lowballing this movie for some reason. You, you just you don't believe in the bad guys. You don't think they could really be any good. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, I, I feel like my fellow man is just like, surely these guys are they're bad. We can't we can't hold we can't them be, up to the highest standards. Yeah, yeah, they're bad. We the can't ball. invite crime into our, you know, social lives. So next week on the show, we actually don't have a lot of movies coming out.
0: Um, I think the oh, only yeah. movie coming out next week that I have seen or We'll see. Is Memory the new Liam Neeson mm-hmm. film directed by Martin Campbell? I already saw it. Um, but we we have a different plan for next week's show. Are we're we're going to be returning.
2: I don't say okay. what I was going to say. Are we allowed to talk about this, or is this a surprise?
0: Oh, we're allowed. There are no rules. for action, not on Cinema. Oh Hallies. boy. Yeah. Um, no, we have a special guest coming on to the show. Uh, we won't reveal the special guest. We'll keep that a secret. But uh, we are, of course, coming back to. One of, one of our longtime segments, one of the OG segments, and that is the summer movie preview. Uh, we're next week going to be kind of going over the whole summer in terms of, like, what's coming out, what we're expecting. And it's going to be a little bit different. Like, in the past, like, summer movie preview episodes, we've done, like, okay, here are, like, three movies each. On, like, which one do you are you looking forward to the most? We're actually doing a little bit different. We're going to give you more of, like, a, hey, this is what the summer has in store. This is what we think is probably going to be a big box office winner. Um, and then maybe, like, by doing it that way, we'll kind of reconvene at the end of the summer and see how things netted out. We'll see. We'll see. But uh, I think it'll be a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, I mean, when's the last time we did this? 2019? summer movie preview i i will assume
0: 2019 but i can actually look it up very quickly because that's the thing we used to do like winter movie preview we used to do fall movie preview and then i think we stopped doing everything but the summer movie preview because that was more of like a okay you know that's the one that's clearly like the big deal of the year um and it's hard to do oscar season previews Mm -hmm. um yeah i'm seeing summer preview 2019 is the last time we did a preview yeah Yeah. well
2: Summer movie season. Oh, no, we we did a
0: fall movie. We did a fall preview of 2019. Maybe we did a winter preview. Sorry, hold on.
2: Okay. But the last time we did a summer preview was uh, 2019. 2019, Okay. Yeah, I I was going to say, because. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if we did a winter one. We did. We did a winter movie
0: preview 2019 to 2020. I just totally forgot. Sorry.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think it was just because of COVID that, because we didn't know when things were coming out, if they were ever going to come out again. So it's like, it made no sense to do a a summer movie preview in 2020 would have been bleak uh <laughs> and 2021 would have been a question mark as well so it makes sense to bring it back in 2022 yeah but, i remember the function uh, of those
0: episodes was like there was always like a dead week and we were just like there's nothing really right to well, that's what i was gonna yeah.
2: say is that usually we, we prioritize these because most movies like there's a movie that comes out that first week of May, that's always going to make a killing there. Unless like, it's like a huge bomb, which is pretty rare for that first week. It's usually a Marvel movie. It does. Well, well. We had to push so it most, even
0: further earlier, right? Because the Avengers movies kept coming out like April,
2: like the last week of whatever. April. Yeah. But usually a studio doesn't want to put a big movie or a prominent film before the week before a Marvel movie. So that's why we have usually the freedom to discuss summer movie previews because they don't, uh, squeeze anything in that time so exactly yeah 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 Yeah, because then yeah
0: this is the last week of april and then we're going to be going right into the summer like with a bang we're gonna it's gonna start off with like dr strange and netflix has like a marmaduke movie coming out it's gonna be pretty intense Um,
2: the the Hill of the Summer coming up, I guess. I, I thought that already came out that Marmaduke
0: movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess this is the uh, the unaffi- It's like the sequel that is just the name of it again. I think it's just an animated version of Marmaduke. It's not like no, Owen no, I, I know, yeah.
2: Oh. I'm not. I'm not talking about the Owen Wilson one. I thought there. I thought that movie had already come out, but I. I mean, yeah, I <laughs> no. Don't know. This
0: one. This is the one. I think Pete Davidson does the voice of Marmaduke, so I'm sure that's going right. Gonna be, yeah. Uh, terrible. Yeah. Can't wait. All right. Did that come off like I hate Pete Davidson? I don't hate I Pete just,
2: Davidson. He's been through so much. Just let leave him alone.
0: Yeah, I'd be friends with that guy.
2: Um, I would probably well, I mean, date
0: him. Let's be honest. Like, who would? Yeah, I was gonna say. I mean,
2: <laughs> it's only a matter of time before I'm dating him. I guess. So yeah. Right.
0: At if this rate, he's, he's, yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> All right. That'll do
0: it for our this week's episode of Cinema Holics. We'll be back next week for, uh, like we said, summer movie preview. Can't wait. Um, thank you, everybody, who has been writing into the show and. You know, we've been getting lots of positive responses for the RRR episode.
2: Oh, yes. Um, yeah. You know, it, that was uh, so
0: cool to see that tweet do super well, the one the plug in the show. And, you know, lots of people listening to the show and letting us know what they thought of our thoughts on that movie. And, and uh, yeah, pro- probably going to go yeah. down as one of our one of my favorite episodes of the show we ever did.
2: Wow. Yeah. I was gonna say, I mean, if you're a new listener after the episode, welcome. I hope you're enjoying the show and uh, I hope you enjoy the back catalog, too, if you're checking that out.
0: Yeah. Plenty, plenty of stuff to see here. That's for sure. All right, from the internet, California, I am John Negroni, and from the internet, Pennsylvania, I'm Washington. See you next time.